Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Thank you, Dave. There's a card. Do you still have that card? Let me have the card. You want to post it around, right? Okay. This card is for the family and church of Clarence McDonald. I knew Brother McDonald from the fellowship meetings, but I don't know if I ever even talked to him. But uh, very faithful, and I understand he built this table right here. So uh, we want to um, extend our condolences to um, uh, the church and the family. I'm going to start here with you, Terry, and um, make it all the way around, please. The pen needs a pen. I'll get right there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now you got it. Amateurs. <laughs> Chronological study of the Bible, Solomon wrote, but did not include this in his book. 200 years later, the Lord used Hezekiah to fix that. Proverbs 28, verse 24. Whoso robbeth his father or his mother, and saith it is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. This is very, very important. How many of us, hands raised, how many of us know someone who robbed their family? Raise your hand. It's, it, this happens. This happens. It's, it's amazing that this happens. But it happens even more than you think. The men of Hezekiah are starting a section on stubbornness. That's the common thread that we're going to get through. I still can't figure out a lot of what Solomon's common thread was, but Hezekiah's stuff is, is a lot more easy to follow. But stubbornness is what all this has in common. Luke chapter 15, where Ray read a minute ago, he said a certain man had two sons, and the younger then said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Literally saying, give me what is mine. Give me what is mine. My question for you, and don't answer, but was it his yet? That's the thing. He says, give me what is mine. It wasn't his yet. And he divided unto them his living. What if the father had told him no? Only we can speculate on that. But Jesus is telling the event, and so this is what happened, and we're going to go with it. Okay? The son said, let me have it. What the parent has will ultimately go to the children, will it not? Won't it? Yep. So why not do it earlier? This happens with elderly people all the time. I'm not going to go into specifics, but it is so easy to think this is going to be mine, and so I'm going to go ahead and take it now, and he won't know the difference. Happens all the time. What the parent has will also go to the children, so why not do it earlier? Why not do it without the parent knowing? By the way, it's always without the parent knowing. Always. It is destructive. The same as the companion of a destroyer. 
It is destructive in several ways. First of all, he destroys the father's significance. And this is so important. Men's greatest need is significance, even if they're 95 years old. They need significance. There has to be a reason for them to be alive, or else it will crush their spirit. Women's greatest need is security. They've got to have it all the way to the very end. If that father gave him his leaving the other half to the other son, at that point, the father is broke. <clears throat> Just broke. The story goes on to say that the brother allowed the father to continue to live there, but the brother didn't have to. <coughs> didn't have to, because the father gave it to him. What they did, what the younger son did, was theft. What the older son did, he's got his own issues, but again, the event is about the, the, the one that did the worst part there. Secondly, he destroys the family when the other son takes possession of everything that's left. How did that other son feel about his brother? It's easy to think he still has what's coming to him. The problem is, is now he is responsible for all of that. He's not ready for it. How do I know he's not ready? Because his father's not dead yet. God enables us to do what he asks us to do, and it wasn't time for him to take possession of that. The money is taken. Destroyed. The money taken is destroyed from wise use and potential increase. What could that father have done with that money? He said, well, he's old man. He's not going to do anything. You don't know that. You don't know that. What if the father knew someone had a need and the father said, I would help you, but I can't because I don't have anything. It's, it's destructive. But we have in our mind, it's going to be mine anyway. I'll just go ahead and take it now. Never, ever, ever do that. Never do that. Whether they notice it or not, it is destructive. Christians do this with the Lord regularly. And this is where it's going to get a little difficult. Christians do this with the Lord regularly with the same destruction. How do Christians do it? How does it make the Lord feel when we immediately go to credit for what we think we need? It's the same thing. It's saying, Father, you own the world. You haven't given me what I think I need, and so I'm going to bypass you and do what you said don't do. It's the same thing. How does it hurt God the Father? God the Father can't be injured, but he, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be saddened. We forget that God has feelings. If you, if, you don't know, if you don't think God has feelings, look at Jesus. Jesus wept twice. How does it make God feel when we do that? It's the same thing. God, this is all yours, but I want this that you haven't given me yet. It's the same thing. How does it make the brothers feel? And by the brothers, I'm talking about other Christians. How does it make the Christians, the, the Christian brothers feel when his stubbornness causes them to have to bail him out later? When does that ever happen? 
happens in church all the time. Somebody's got a need that they shouldn't have. But it's an emergency. And we don't want them to do without. And so we ante up. Don't take from the Father. Whichever Father is. Don't take from the Father. It's destructive. Wait for Him. Accept the position and wait for Him. He will provide what is best. And had that younger son waited until the end, he would have had much, much more, I believe. I believe he would have had much, much more. But he didn't want to wait. And in the end, what did the, brother, the, the, the prodigal son have? Nothing. Okay? At a certain point, when that father died, the father was not influencing the older brother. And so now the younger brother's saying, uh, I got nothing. It's all yours. Who's going to take care of me? What's the older brother going to say? Well, that's okay. You know, it's, it's all right. You, you go stay in that room over there and, and you be good boy. I, I don't see that. I just don't. Because the, the problem should not have happened. It should not have happened. But we don't think ahead. We think this is going to be mine, so why not let it be mine now? There is more to it than that, and that's the issue of time. Time is just as important as events happening. When they happen is just as important as what happens itself. We've got to be willing to wait for the Father. 25. He that's of a proud heart stirreth up strife. He's stubborn. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Now let's start off with that word fat. Fat is prosperous. It doesn't mean overweight. He that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made prosperous. Applying this directly to the last proverb at any situation. But applying it to the, to the very last proverb or any scripture or any situation, that doesn't apply to me because. Then the problems start. He that's of a proud heart stirreth up strife. What is a proud heart? It's saying, Father, whatever it is that you're saying, it doesn't apply to me because I got special situation, I got special circumstances, and you're not doing your part, and so I'm going to bypass, and I'm going to get it done, and then the problems start. God doesn't say no just because he wants to control us. He says no because there is something bad coming if you do that in every case. We may not ever see it, but there is reason why God said don't do this. Sometimes I wonder, if I was in the garden, would I have been able to resist that one tree? You know, Adam and Eve stole from the Father there too. That was God's tree. You can have anything you want, but that's my tree. Only person who touched that tree is me. Would we have resisted? I don't know. I am so glad it happened to them and not me. 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. This is very, very important. Our conscience is included in total depravity. We must remember that. 
We were brought up in school saying, let your conscience be your guide. I'm telling you, your conscience is just as packed with sin as the rest of you is. Your conscience, your conscience cannot be trusted. What we feel is right rarely is. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that, but there's a reason we have the Bible. Because what we feel is right doesn't work. What we feel is right often gets corrected by a verse in the Bible. Never trust our conscience. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things. I'm telling you, our hearts are more deceitful than the serpent in the garden. But we trust them. I want this. I need that. So I'm going to act. Never, ever, ever trust your heart. The heart is a sequel above all things desperately wicked. That's my heart. That's your heart. Who can know it? We think we know ourselves. We do not know ourselves. Trust me, we do not know ourselves. This is why we must not be stubborn. Stubborn says, that doesn't apply to me because. That's stubborn. That's the bottom line. That doesn't apply to me because. Then the problems start. He that trusteth that his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Wisely seeking Jesus. Whoso lives his life seeking Jesus, he shall be delivered. Give the Lord time. If there's one single thing that happens all through the Bible, Old Testament and New, is we see people acting before they pray. We see that all the way through. And every time they create their own problems. I'm convinced, I'm convinced if we would stop and give God three days on every decision, we would fix 90% of our problems. I'm convinced of it. Church, individual, all of it. If we would give God three days to reveal what He wants us to do, we would eliminate 90% of our problems. But 90% of the time, if not higher, we don't give God three seconds. We might say a quick prayer, Lord, if this isn't, this is my favorite. You're in the dealership, about to sign the paper for the loan. You say, Lord, if you don't want me to have this, may it not go through. That never works. It never works. God says you shouldn't be there. And because you are there, I think I'm gonna teach you something. I think teach you why you shouldn't do that. By the way, this happened to me twice in my life. I am not innocent in any of this stuff. It is very, very easy to just fall in to stubbornness. That doesn't apply to me because. Search scripture. Had a conversation Friday with one of my bosses, he's the Methodist I told you about. He is one of the smartest guys that I know. He's not as smart as the new boss, but he's one of the smartest guys. He knows nothing about Scripture. Nothing. Because he thinks it's all fairy tales. I found out Friday 
he was on the board of directors for that church. And he can't, he's on the board of directors for his church. And doesn't even know simple Bible stories. Search Scripture. Scripture will never, ever, ever fail us. Why don't we search Scripture? Because it requires time. And we don't like time being used. We want what we, we, we want the solve problem solved now. It doesn't ever, ever get better. Search the Scripture, then act. Then act. Let's suppose, and this happens, let's suppose you have a choice to make. So right here, you're at your choice. You could go left or you could go right. Lord, show me what to do. Show me what to do. For three days, Lord, show me what to do. In those three days, I've searched Scripture, and Scripture doesn't say, do this. What do you do then? There's two things you can do then. Number one, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do, and that's keep searching. Keep searching. If you're in a position to where you have to do something, if you don't turn left or you don't turn right, you're going to go off the cliff. It's that much of a real emergency. You've searched God, and He hasn't given you a direction between the two. And you've got to do something, I submit to you this. He's saying both are okay. Both are okay. That is rare, though. Typically, we get to where we're ready to fall off the cliff before we begin seeking God. And that's it's just dangerous. Don't do it. It's, it's just a result of stubbornness. That doesn't apply to me because. 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. But he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Now I want to read that again so that you can think about what it says. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. But he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Now I'm going to ask a question that don't answer out loud. Does this say that I, Danny King, am stubborn for making sure they really need it first? I used to work with a guy that would say, yes. Absolutely. He says, give to the poor you not lack. And that's, that's the basis of it. He gives to everybody and everything. And it's true. He hadn't lacked. It, said it actually worked for him. But is that what it says? Let's study it. He that giveth unto the poor. The first thing we have to do is determine if they actually are poor or if they are prodigal. We must do that. If not, are we really giving to the poor? I submit to you there are people that live their lives going from church to church to church because they are poor. And the church has paid them to stay that way. They don't know them. They assume what they're saying is true. They don't want to take the time. They want to go home. He that giveth unto the genuine poor is how I read that. You may not read it that way, but let's keep going. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. Did Jesus ever go without? Yes. Proverbs are not promises they are how things usually work even among the unsaved so this is not a guarantee whichever way we go with it 
Proverbs 4, 19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now that is a promise. That is a promise. What does it say about giving to the poor in that verse? He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. You may not see what I see in this, and that's okay. Don't ever, ever think that because Danny King said it, you have to do it because I'm nobody, okay? My job, and Friday, he said, why do you keep talking about the Bible? I said, my job is to show you what's there, if you'll listen. Now, he said, but you, you want me to change? I said, no, I don't, want you. I don't care what you do with it. I need you to know the information. I don't want anybody standing before the throne of God saying, you're going to hell and looking at me and saying, why didn't you tell me about this? I don't want that to ever happen. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Hideth his eyes to what is the question? For the record, I've really studied this because this one here is, is hard for my position. Hideth his eyes to what? The entire situation, I think. The entire situation. Not just the fact that they're telling me a story. Not even the fact that they may look needy. Hideth his eyes to the entire situation. Often the curse that comes when we don't look at the situation, we just pay them to go away. Often the curse is just watching money disappear. That does happen. It happens a lot. But the verse says, he that gives the poor shall not lack. But there's so many people that give. Smokers love to help smokers. They're both broke. Drinkers help drinkers. They're both broke. People that, that don't act right love to help people who also don't act right. They're both broke. I think it's important to help the genuinely poor. I think it's equally as important to be able to help the genuinely poor with a big need. And I've said this before, if I $5 it away over here, over here, over here, I get one over here that needs a thousand, I'll never be able to help them. And they're rationally needy. Okay? We've got to take time. Are they really poor? Not just pay them to go away. Proverbs 14, 31, 19, 17, 29, 9 are similar. I think they're here because he's just reminding us, hey, I already told you this before, don't be stubborn. 28, when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. How wicked is wicked? No one thinks they're wicked. No one. In America, close to 50% of the country votes for the opposite of the winner. Close to 50%. Because they think he is wicked. Yet the other half thinks he's great. Define wicked. The more we study Proverbs, the more it has to be not seeking Jesus. That's the only thing it could be, in my opinion. So far in this study, no one has ever been able to prove me different. 
I'm, I'm open. I'm open to being shown different. But the wicked is simply not seeking Jesus. When the person that doesn't seek Jesus arise, men hide themselves. This is true, especially in church. But there's no wicked in church. I submit to you, churches are packed full of people that don't seek Jesus. I submit, I'm, I'm not talking about this one specifically. Y'all are great Christians. I'm talking about all the other churches. <laughs> packed full of people that are not seeking Jesus. Why are they there? Maybe this ease their conscience. Maybe it's because they enjoy the show. Maybe it's because they like somebody there. I depended as a teenager on girls liking me so I could increase the attendance. And so I would go out with a girl just so that dads and Chris attendance would decrease. I, but very, you never said anything to thank you for that. I increased your attendance a lot, one at a time. I wasn't seeking Jesus. When, the, when those that don't see Jesus rise, men hide themselves. Church members can be stubborn too. Seeking Jesus, it's much more than going to church. This is the most common reason. Watch this. This is the most common reason why people quit going. They're hiding themselves. I saw a bumper sticker one time. It says, Lord, protect me from your followers. That hurt. But when they perish, the righteous increase. Okay, let's go with my definition on wicked is not seeking Jesus. So you're saying that everyone who doesn't seek Jesus, we want them to die? When they perish, the righteous increase. Perishing here is not necessarily dying. In fact, I say it rarely is dying. It could be they start seeking Jesus. Their wickedness perishes, making them in the righteous group. It just takes one decision every single time to seek Jesus. That's all it takes. But if we bounce back and forth, we're going to be back and forth like the waves. If we never, ever, ever go that way, we're going to have problem after problem after problem. When the wicked perish, the righteous increase. What if it's just simply that, that wicked person is now a righteous person? They, they increased, did they not? In the same chapter, we saw verse 12, when righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory, but when the wicked arise, a man is hidden. Basically the same thing. Why say it again? I submit to you because it's a different context here. Here, it's about stubbornness. All these things we've heard before. All of them. There's nothing new here. So why keep saying it? There's a reason it keeps being said. We must ask ourselves, why is that there? Proverbs 29, verse 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. I would highly recommend we don't harden our neck. But what is hardening our neck? What is hardening our neck? Hold on. Just hold on. One more chapter of Proverbs, I believe 30 and 31 are chronologically written 200 years later. So we've got one more chapter after this, just chapter 29. When we finish 29, we move in back into um, to Kings for a moment, then we hit Ecclesiastes, but just one more chapter of Proverbs. We've been it how many weeks? Anybody have any guess? Out loud, how many weeks? 
I counted it and it, I couldn't believe it. So I counted it again. 96 Whoa. weeks since we started Proverbs. 96 weeks. Has it made a change in our lives or does it seem like he keeps hammering the same things? Boy, that hit me right between the eyes. Does it bother me that he's repeating himself? Does it bother me that I won't listen? Does it bother me that I'm stubborn? I think that's his point. He's been being often reproved. Hard with his neck. I've heard it all before. That doesn't apply to me because I submit to you the New Testament, every word of it, applies to all of us all the time. Old Testament, fine. Old Testament's there for our learning. We can take things and learn from it, but it doesn't say do this. It doesn't say don't do this. Even thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal is repeated in the New Testament. By the way, one of them is not. If you don't know which one is not, you need to look into it. One of the Ten Commandments is not repeated in the New Testament. In fact, it's repealed. It's repealed in the New Testament. But that doesn't apply to me. Is never ever, ever going to lead anybody into blessing. Never has, never will. It simply allows the problem to continue coming. I'm somewhat of an expert on this one. I was often reproved for six years. Don't harden your neck. Don't get stubborn. Be careful how we answer because suddenly destroyed and that without remedy. I was very aware that God could kill me at any, minute, any moment. Very aware of it. Used to make Michelle crazy. What are you so afraid of? I said, God has every right to kill me where I sit. You say, well, why didn't you just go home? Stubborn. You say, well, it worked out for you. Rarely does it work out. Rarely does it work out. And the pain that exists still today. Ben and I were talking last Sunday night, and he said, you know what happened 15 years ago still hurts. And it's like, I had to sit there and take it. Had to take it. I couldn't say after 15 years it hurts. No, because I did it. It's my fault. Proverbs 28, 14. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Why say it again? Context of stubbornness. Verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, what is righteous? Well, there are those who would say the righteous would be the TV preacher because he's got most people listening to him. I submit to you that's not the way to do it. It's better to look at the Pope because he's got way more than the TV preacher, right? A lot of people do that. Catholic Church has got more than anybody else, so that must be the right. No, 
No, no, no. It's got nothing to do with success. When the righteous are in authority, when those who seek Jesus are in authority, the people rejoice. I heard something Friday from my Methodist friend. He said that Donald Trump, and I don't like Donald Trump, okay, I'm not going to go into who I plan to vote for, but it's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump was asked. What was it he asked? Something about abortion. Oh, he was asked why he didn't make abortion illegal as president. He could have went into the description of his office but with the executive orders, that kind of blows that out of the water. You know what his answer was? He says, who do you think set up that Supreme Court? That Supreme Court that overturned Roe v. Wade was put there, every one of them, by Donald Trump. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. If we had lost the last election, when I say we, I'm talking about people who care about abortion. If we had lost the last election, it would be expanded, not drawn in. It's that close. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Proverbs 28, 12, when righteous men do rejoice, there's great glory, but when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. Basically the same thing. Solomon left out several Proverbs about leadership, and I think that's where he's going next, about leadership. But stubbornness still comes into play. Ecclesiastes they give us a good reason why. Ecclesiastes is close. I'm not going to say how close because they don't tell how long this last chapter is going to take. Ecclesiastes is close. And I'm telling you, you will be surprised at how different Solomon thinks. You'll be surprised. The things that he says, almost every single one of them will be countered by the Proverbs he left out. Almost every single one. I'm not going to say every one because I haven't got that deep into the study. But I'm telling you what, I am absolutely 100% convinced he left out those last chapters because they were going to contradict what he wrote in Ecclesiastes. I'm convinced of it. We'll get there and we'll study it and find out. Was Solomon stubborn? I think he's becoming that way. We haven't seen the evidence yet. I'm going to let out a secret. I told Ramona this, so I feel like I should tell you this as well. <coughs> what was the thing that knocked over the first domino? The first. Okay? With Ecclesiastes, we see all the dominoes knocked down. With the idolatry, we see all the dominoes knocked down. But what knocked down the first domino in Solomon's life? I believe it's the Queen of Sheba. I believe she's the key to the whole thing. And we'll get there. We'll get there. Verse 3. Whoso loveth wisdom. Solomon loveth wisdom, right? We'll find out in Ecclesiastes how much he loves wisdom. Rejoice with his father. At this point, who is Solomon's only father? God in heaven, because David's dead. Do you think Solomon's about to rejoice his heavenly father? If you go up 
just with what Proverbs says, yeah, God is crazy, wonderful about him. The change is too fast. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoices with the Father. I think at this point, Solomon did write them, but he's leaving them out. And I don't think God's happy about that. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoices with the Father. And he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. Solomon's about to. And I think he probably has started it. Those thousand wives didn't come overnight. Okay, His first wife we've shown was um, the daughter of, the, of Egypt. But that was not his true love. His true love was the, the, um, the, uh, the girl from Solomon, the Midianite. Is that right, Midian? Not Midian. Shulamite. Shulamite. The Shulamite. She's his real love. <clears throat> but he winds up with a thousand wives. Those didn't come overnight. I think that as he is transitioning, but the Queen of Sheba, I think that that's the one thing that knocks it all out. Ecclesiastes will open our eyes as to why this was left out. Four, the king by judgment always replaced judgment with justice. Always replace. By the way, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this one because we're out of time. This is a common, common question. Judge not that you be not judged. What does that mean? Does that mean we just ignore what other people do? No, because later in the chapter it says you shall know them by their fruits. So what is the difference between judging and fruit inspecting? What is the difference? I think I know. Judgment always replaced with justice. Justice not, lest you, lest you be also justiced. I can look at Wade and say what you're doing is not right. But it's not up to me to say what should happen to him. I think it's dangerous and destructive to just ignore what Wade is doing. You shall know them by their fruits is different than judge not to be not judged. Justice not. If I say what you're doing is wrong and this should happen to you, that's when I got a problem because in the same way, Wade's going to come back on me, well, you said this. Remember when you said that? Let's look at sermon audio. I marked it just in case you ever came up with something. It happens a lot. It happens a lot of time. Why do we do that? Why do we justice wait? We're stubborn. We're stubborn about what God's been saying about us and we want to deflect onto weight, and that's so much easier. Father, thank you so much. Can't believe we've been doing it this long, but thank you so much for what you have taught. Please don't let us harden our heart. Please don't let us become stubborn. Please help us ask, why is this here again? Not in a negative way, but a positive way. Please help us to ask, God, what do you want me to do? And please make us willing to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.